Genesis chapter 8, the Bible uh, and verse 5, it says this, that the waters continued to recede until the 10th month. And on the first day, notice that, the first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. The first day of the 10th month, the tops of the mountains became visible. I want to preach a message entitled, New Year Peaks. New Year Peaks. This verse has a unique application to the first day of the year. The 10th month here corresponds to our January 1st. I realize today we're already at January 6th, but let's just back up a few days And let's kind of grab on to what it is that I believe the Lord wants for us today. There was something that took place on that first day after the flood had occurred. Noah and his family had been inside of the ark and there had really been no visible sight line of any kind of land that was in front of them and in store for them. But the Bible says that the waters receded and that the mountaintops became visible. And this is where Noah and his family found that first ray of hope. That after so long that they had spent in the ark just kind of floating around, whether or not they have been able to steer, we don't know. We just know that God preserved them and kept them in that ark You and I don't know what the future holds, but you've got to imagine that as they looked out of the ark and they saw the peaks of the mountains, those mountaintops appear, that hope began to arise in their hearts, that they were not doomed to float around until they passed on from life. No, God had told Noah to to build this ark for the purpose of preservation, of preserving their lives. But you've got to imagine that being in an ark like that with as many animals as there were preserved in the ark, that after a while that became old. I'm sure that over time it, you know, you talk about cabin fever. I mean, that's, that's some serious cabin fever you've got to deal with uh, in an ark. But for many of us, we don't know what the future holds. There is a certain amount of anxiety that is associated with the uncertainty of our future. And yet, I don't believe that we should, as believers, have that intense of an anxiety. Simply because I believe that there are some things that we can see today from this particular verse of Scripture and some of the others that we're going to read that as Christians just as those mountains were visible to all in the ark and brought a sense of hope and security, that as Christians there are mountaintops of security that we can look to for this coming year. And here are a few. The first one is this, that we need to see the mountaintop of His divine promises. Here's your first peak. Here's your first mountaintop that you're going to take a look at, and it is His divine promises. Turn over in the, in the New Testament to the book of 2 Peter, chapter 1. 2 Peter, chapter 1. 
And I want to read verse 4. 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4. His divine promises. Listen to what the Bible says this. It says in verse 4 of 2 Peter chapter 1, Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises, so that through them you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. These are reassuring mountaintops. They tell us this, that God can't lie. We've got to understand that people may lie to you, your friends may lie, your co-workers may lie, your boss may lie to you, people on the street may lie. But the Bible is very clear and lets us know that God cannot lie. If God has promised something, then God absolutely will fulfill his promises for your life. It lets us know that he will not in any way bail out on you in any situation. Even though it seems they were waiting in the shadows, the promises of God are waiting in the shadows and you don't see them, they are more sure to you than than the fact that the sun will rise in the east tomorrow morning. And a lot of times we don't believe that because we're not spending time taking a look at his promises. We get all hung up on what God hasn't done what it is that we think he should do and hasn't done yet, we forget that when we don't go to the word of God and and take a look at what he says in the word, we fail to realize that his promises are absolutely true. The Bible says that they are yes and they are amen. They will happen. He will bring it to completion. He will do a work in your life. He has promised he will do that. We've got to believe in the promises of God. You've got to look as you approach this new year. You don't know what this year is going to hold. I don't know what this year will hold. We have no idea the things that will come down the road. Sometimes we get overwhelmed, and I know that we look at all the things that we do know about, and we're concerned. We don't even know what won't happen yet. But you know what, brothers and sisters, what we've got to do is we've got to stop looking at those things. We've got to look at the mountaintop of what God has promised in his word. Go to the word of God. If you're down and you're discouraged and you feel hopeless, you need to go to the word of God and realize that he is a God who always provides a promise for his people and then he will fulfill that promise. The promises of God are the foundation of our trust. You can't base your life on anything else. If you're basing your life on other things other than the promises of God, you are basing your life on things that will move, things that will shift, things that don't feel quite right. How many of you feel secure when you walk down the street? You walk down the street. You feel secure as you're walking on the pavement. You feel pretty good. The ground's not moving. It's not quite Just, uh, I think it was just last night or whenever it was, an earthquake in, in Alaska. And, and all of a sudden, you, you, I've never been in an earthquake, and thank you very much, I'm not interested. To, to think, and I will say this, I have, I'm sorry. There was the tiniest little earthquake in the great state of Maine. 
as I was growing up, believe it or not, I thought something was wrong with the furnace in our house. I was in the shower. I think it was a teenager. I was in the shower, and I felt this, this vibration in the house, and I thought our furnace was blowing up. I, I really did. And it lasted but a split second. And come to find out, that was an earthquake. If you've ever been in, you know, not that tiny little kind of vibration of a tremor, but you've been in an intense earthquake, I am certain you don't want to experience another one. Because there is nothing more, more unsettling than to have the very ground underneath your feet begin to move and begin to shake and the earth begins to shift a little bit. And when we base our lives on things other than the promises of God, that's exactly the kind of instability that we will have. Those things will move, they'll shift, the, the earth will quake beneath you. But I want you to know that when you base it on the promises of God and what God has said in his word, brothers and sisters, there will be no earthquake that will shake you because you are building on a sure foundation. God promised to Abraham, you take time to read through the Old Testament, you're going to find that it's full of promises that were later on fulfilled. God promised to Abraham that he would have a son. And at about age 100, here comes a little screaming baby by the name of Isaac. All of a sudden, it seemed impossible that it would happen. It seemed out of this world. It seemed crazy that, that Abraham and Sarah would have a son. But we know, we read the story. We go back and we read it and reread it. And yet, with that fulfilled promises, that fulfilled promise, we think, well, but, you know, what about my situation? God promised to bring Israel out of Egypt. And as they were standing there in front of the Red Sea, having nowhere to go, and they had the enemy behind them, the mountains on either side of them, they had in the Red Sea in front of them, they were absolutely trapped. God promised, I'm going to bring you out. Moses had brought the people to this point. God led them to that point. And now they're sitting there, and they're all worrying, and they're fretting, what's going to happen? Brothers and sisters, when God promises he, he'll bring you out, he might have to open a Red Sea to do it but he will bring you through. God promised to deliver mighty Jericho into the hands of Israel as they marched around that city, such unconventional warfare, marching around the city once each day. And on that final day, marching around it seven times and then shouting a great shout. I don't know what they shouted. We have no idea what they said. But all they did was they shouted and the Bible says that the walls of that city began, began to come down and crumble and they went in and they took that city that everybody felt was absolutely just, no, no army could get in and take it. They went in and they took the city simply because God said, do this, I promise this, and it happened. God promised that he would bring his people into captivity if they continued to sin. This is one of the dark parts of the Old Testament as you read through Chronicles and read through Kings and you begin to look and see it and, and read through the prophets and all the things that the prophets were telling the people that they needed to repent, they needed to turn from idols. If you don't, God is going to bring you into a, a period of captivity and there the southern kingdom of Judah was in fact got to a point where God said at this moment, even if they repented, I would still send them to Babylon. 
And that's exactly what he did. But he also promised that in the midst of their captivity, he promised to them, I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to bring you back into your homeland. It's not going to take 400 years. It will take 70 years. You'll be there for 70 years. But you need to know, just, you know, build homes. You need to just kind of get into the, the, the livelihood and make a livelihood while you're in Babylon as much as you possibly can. But I want you to know that after 70 years, you will come back and you get to the books of Nehemiah and Ezra. And all of a sudden now you see the people of Israel. You see the people of Judah. They're coming out of their captivity. Why? Oh, because God promised. They came out of their captivity, not because, you know, the the kings, you know, they got more a little more lax and a little more lazy. We wouldn't want all these people here in our land. It wasn't about that. It was because God had promised that he was going to bring them out of captivity and if God promises something he will fulfill it God promised to send a deliverer to his people we've just spent the better part of the last month talking about that God promised in his word in the Old Testament that he would send somebody as a deliverer as a messiah as, as an anointed one to bring his people out of their sins. And here comes Jesus. He fulfilled his promise through Jesus Christ. A little bit later on, Jesus promised himself that he would rise from the grave, that he would be crucified, and that he would come out of the tomb. And now, today, scholars are still trying to figure out what in the world to do with an empty tomb. That what in the world are we to do with this? How can we explain this way? I'm I'm amazed every year. If you watch any kind of, uh, you know, I don't know, I don't want to, bad mouth particular networks because I don't remember which ones do it but you know every now and then history channel or discovery channel some you know some the science channel or whatever they'll they'll delve into some of these mysteries and and they always do it folks just get ready they always do it slightly before easter the time where believers are just you know it's all about the resurrection and let's face it without the resurrection we have nothing know that absolutely nothing as Christians without the resurrection the Bible says Paul says we're still in our sins but Jesus did in fact rise from the grave but they they delve into these mysteries and and here's what they're doing they're not trying to explain it they're trying to explain it away because if you don't have a resurrection then you can take Christianity down in one single swoop In one explanation away, you can say, Christianity is a farce. You will find that that will happen. Trust me. I'm I'm not prophesying. I'm not. (laughs) This is just based on experience. This, every year. You see it on Time Magazine. Of course, most, do any of us buy magazines anymore? But you, you see it on Time Magazine, Newsweek. They always do this little expose about faith, about the Christian faith and Jesus. You know, who was he really? You want to find out who he was? Read this. You want to find out what he did? Read this. You want to find out that he promised he would rise from the grave? And then Paul says over 500 people saw him alive at one time after the resurrection. Brothers and sisters, here's all the proof you need. He has promised to complete what he started in you. And he will fulfill it. 
Say, but pastor, I don't feel like, you know, I look in the mirror sometimes, I think, God, why are you taking so long? You know, it's, you've got to trust and believe that God is working in you on a daily basis. And sometimes he's using the bad stuff in your life to mold you and shape you into what God wants you to be. I don't understand why it has to be sometimes so painful. But there are times in our lives where the promises of God are true and they are yes and they are amen. And there are some times that we sit back and we think God is not fulfilling anything that he promised for my life. Brothers and sisters, be patient. Hold on to your confession of faith. Do not give up. Do not give up. Because we've got to see the mountaintop of his promises. There's another mountaintop that we've got to see as well. And that is the mountaintop of spiritual possibilities. The Bible says this, turn over in John chapter 1, John chapter 1, two verses of scripture I want to read there. In John chapter 1, we have great spiritual promises given to us and great spiritual possibilities. We've got to see the mountaintop of these possibilities. The Bible says this in John chapter 1 and verse 12, it says, yet to all who received him, To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become the children of God. He gave the right to become the children of God. That opens up a whole new world of possibilities for you. Spiritual possibilities because now you have a new family. You're of the family of God. And the family of God should open up a great deal of spiritual possibilities and opportunities for you but jump down to verse 42 the bible says this and he brought him to jesus jesus looked at him this is andrew bringing peter to jesus he looked at him and said you are simon son of john you will be called cephas which when translated is Peter. To us, that may not mean like a great deal, but Peter was hearing these words, my name is different now because now my name in the original Greek means stone, a pebble, a rock, something that is solid, something that will hold, something that will endure. And he's hearing this To him, that meant something more than us just hearing the name Peter because we don't realize the name Peter actually does, in fact, mean rock or it means stone. And he's he's hearing this, and now all of a sudden he's understanding there are great spiritual possibilities that might be in store for me. Now, I don't know that Peter really got that in full at that moment, but we fast forward a whole lot and go about three years later or more down the road to the day of Pentecost. And we see now Peter standing up in front of thousands of people preaching a message that he had never preached for. He had never gone to Bible college. He had never learned how to give a proper outline so that people would remember it. He had never learned how to refer to scriptures and look at people and all of those things. He'd teach you in Bible college and all of those things because there was no Bible college. It was just him and the Holy Spirit and God using him because of great spiritual possibilities. 
See, we need to wrestle our minds away from what might have been, if only, and realize that what is ahead can be done because Paul says we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. How many of you have looked back over the past year and said, oh, if only I had made that decision instead of that one? Come on, be honest. If only I had done this instead of that. We, we do that all the time, if only. We, we are so stuck on the if onlys that we forget that there are great possibilities in front of us you will never see if you're looking back. You've got to look forward. God has great things in store for you, not bad things. God is not the author of confusion in your life. No, we've got great things in store for us, and we can do all things through Christ. God is dealing with you not on the basis of what you are is, is really the finished product, but instead he's molding you and shaping you into what he wants you to be. You haven't arrived. I haven't arrived. None of us standing here, sitting here today are perfect. There isn't anybody who can come up alongside of you and say, you know, you didn't need to hang with me because, you know, I got it, I got it all, you know, it's all down. None of us have that. We don't, we're not there. We have, who's arrived? Anybody arrived? I didn't think so. None of us are there yet. But there are great spiritual possibilities because God lays his hand on your life and says, I've got something in store for you. Here is the hope that you have for the new year. It's not because it went 2012 to 2013 and woo, everybody's happy and everybody in Times Square is jumping around and the music is playing and the confetti is dropping. That's not what changes things, folks. It's understanding that he is a God of spiritual impossibilities and in, in that, he is a God of great possibilities. That in the midst of your difficulty, in the midst of those things that seem so impossible in your life, with him, all things are possible. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. God is molding you and shaping you into his image. We are not to be like us. We're to be more like Jesus. When you're completely surrendered to him, the possibilities, brothers and sisters, are absolutely endless as to what God can do in and through you. I want to teach you a new word for the year, and it is surrender. You say, it's not a new word, pastor. We know all about it. Do we really know all about it? Do we really know what it means to surrender? Because surrendering to God is to say, Lord, yes to you and no to me. And most of us struggle with the no to me part. A lot of times we think that God has it out for us. And if we say yes to him, it's saying he's now just going to have. Why wouldn't you want to let God have his way? Well, are we, don't most of us make such messes out of our lives anyway? You know, I once heard uh, the late brother John Garlock, who could, he could communicate the word of God like nobody had ever heard. In fact, I want to say years ago, he, I think he visited here. He visited Praise Tower, not this building when we were on Irving Park Road, somewhere else, I think. He visited, he, uh, there's not, there was not a communicator I had ever heard like him. But I once heard him say these words. He said, I, you know, some people let God be in control of their lives because, you know, he is the creator of the universe. Some people let God be in control of their lives because, quite frankly, they don't want to go to hell. And they know that if they let him be in charge, they're on their way to heaven. 
He said, but you know what? I, I let God be in control of my life because he does a better job at it than I do. Plain and simple. If you will just surrender to him, surrender, the spiritual possibilities are great. They are absolutely endless. The potential that God sees in us many times, we don't even see in ourselves. We, we kind of look at ourselves and we think, well, you know, it's a mess. But you know what? God sees something that is not a mess. He sees something that is better than what you see. If you will submit to him and let him have his way, God will do great and mighty things both in and through you. The spiritual possibilities are greater, brothers and sisters, than what we we can even begin to imagine or we can even think. I believe that's why Paul stated as he did in Ephesians, now to him who is able to do abundantly above all that we could ever ask or think. Because, you know, really in our, our reality, in our lives, we're limited to what it is that we can ask or we can think. But God goes beyond those limits. He goes, he is outside of those limits. He is greater than anything that we can think. And God can do it a whole lot better than we can. We have great spiritual possibilities, brothers and sisters, that lie in front of us in a new year, not because the calendar changed and not because you stayed up watching, you know, Channel 7 or Channel 9 or whatever it is, mess up the countdown every year, as they always do. You, it's not because of that. No, I want you to know, you know what? It's because God is in control and he has great things in store for you. Great things in store. There is one final mountaintop that we've got to see. And it is the mountaintop of Christian privileges. I think a lot of times we forget that we are a privileged people. A privilege does not mean necessarily that God, you know, looks at you and says, wow, you've been so good that I'm just going to get, you know how we reward our kids? You know, they're, they're really good. Then we allow them something. We give them something. They, we give them a particular privilege. That's not the basis on which God gives privileges. Turn over in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. 1 John chapter 1, over in the New Testament, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 3. The Bible says this. We proclaim to you what we have seen and heard, so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father with his son, Jesus Christ. I want you to notice that, that you may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and his son, Jesus Christ. The Christian privileges, brothers and sisters, that we have are, and there are many, but we have fellowship, we have joy, we have peace, we have guidance, we have access, we have a host of things 
that are Christian privileges. I know a lot of preachers will stand and will say, but it's your right because you are a child of God. In some senses, that is true. On other, other senses and on other levels, it is a privilege, and we must always recognize that it is a privilege. But brothers and sisters, if you in fact have privileges, why not take advantage of them? You know, it's kind of like the person just stepping back saying, oh, you know, I have fellowship. You know, part of, part of the Christian privilege is fellowship with the saints. But you know what? I don't want, I don't, I, I, you know, I feel I should just stay home and not ever go to church. But it's your privilege to go to church. It is your privilege to have fellowship with the saints. You say, but I'm not really sure I like them. That's okay. They may not like you either. <laughs> no, I, in all seriousness. The Bible does tell us that we are allowed to assemble together. In fact, it goes beyond that and says we ought to. It says we should meet together all the more as that we see the day approaching. I, I believe with all my heart that part of this wonderful privilege is not only that we have fellowship with one another, we have fellowship with God. One of those privileges is that we have been given access into the presence of God. I don't know about you, but for a lot of us, we think, or at least I believe a lot of the church has begun to believe that somehow it's just, well, it's just a given, Pastor. You know, but the problem is, is that we take it for granted and we don't utilize it. We don't go to God. What does the old hymn say? We, you know, we're carrying around in burdens because we're not taking it to the Lord in prayer. You can do that. You get to do that. You get to come into the presence of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, every time you do, there is not a God in heaven who is up there ready to beat you on the head because of how imperfect you have been. No, he is ready and willing to take you in. He says, you can come before me. And guess what? You can boldly approach the throne of grace. You don't have to walk in feeling like, you know, at any minute, going to get something thrown at me. Going to get God's, you know, fist just kind of beating me on the head. Boom, boom, boom. No, I, I, you have access. The, the privileges that we have. Another privilege we have is joy in him. Say, I'm looking at all, you know, my life and I don't feel joy in that. Don't look at your life. Look at him. Get your eyes off yourself for a minute and start looking at Jesus, the author and the finisher, the perfecter of your faith. Brothers and sisters, he took your shame for you. He took your sin for you. If there is nothing else in life that can give you joy, at least take joy in the fact that he sacrificed himself for you. We have access into the very throne room of God and we can boldly approach the throne of grace to find mercy and grace, to help in the time of need. The Bible lets us know that we have guidance. We have peace. I read it at the beginning of the service today. Even though I had a, uh, even with the glasses, now I have a hard time seeing my Bible, which is, you know, a scary thought. But, uh, you know, we, we have peace that passes all understanding. It's not our peace. It's not peace in your circumstances because those change. It's the peace of God. It comes from Him. It is His peace being transmitted to you. It's not your peace. That's why we've got to pray, Lord, give me your peace. Let your peace rest upon my life. Let your peace guide my life. Let your peace guard my heart. In closing, I want you to note two very important things about seeing these mountaintops. 
First of all, the first thing is this. The mountaintops were seen from the ark. The ark, if you have ever gotten into studying any amount of typology, you can go a little bit overboard with it, but most people believe and they read the scripture, they see the ark as a type of Christ. That is, the same way as Noah and his family were in the ark We must be in Christ. Paul talks about it in Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, chapter chapter 1. He talks about it so many times over and over. He repeats the phrase, in him we have this blessing. In him, in Christ, in the Lord. All through that chapter, the first part of chapter 1, it's repeated over and over again. You cannot have and see these mountaintops apart from being in Christ. You've got to be in that ark of safety, as they used to say. Be inside, be in him, so that those mountaintops can be realized in your life. You can reach out and take hold of them and grab onto them. The second thing is this. They are seen from where most people believe the ark rested on Ararat, which, seem, which also means, that word means, holy ground. Without true consecration, there can be but a hazy vision of higher truths. Without that true giving of yourself to the Lord. You see, consecration is not this, this word that means I'm perfect. It's just a word that means I'm setting myself apart for you, Lord. I'm not going to set apart myself for myself. I'm going to set myself apart for you. And it's through that experience of holiness and that coming to him and saying, Lord, I'm yours, that brothers and sisters, we will begin to realize that God's got so much more in store for us than what we can even begin to imagine. I want you to know that going into a new year with hope is a whole lot better than going into it hopeless. If you want to sit in your hopeless juices and stew, then I want you to know you're not going to make it very far. But if you will come out and say, Lord, I'm going to hope in you and my hope is in you alone, brothers and sisters, the possibilities for you this year are absolutely endless because you serve a God who is greater and greater than anything that you will ever be faced with. We might feel as though You know, we might have felt a little bit hopeless on January 1st. I don't know about you, but I I don't get all worked up about the ball dropping and the, you know, the countdowns and all of that. I, for the most part, I don't even have, I don't have the TV on. I'm not looking at it. The rest of my family was in bed. I was just kind of sitting up and, and, uh, kind of waiting for it to happen. And then I went to bed and I thought, I felt the same, you know, at, at 11.59.2012 as I do at 12.01.2013. But it's just the way it is. It's not about that. We know that it is. We've got a great God. And the same God that brought us through 2012, He will see you through 2013. He will guide you. He will help you. He will give you the strength that you need to overcome. Do not doubt in your mind that the same God is going to help you through because He said, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will always be there for you. You've got a friend that sticks closer than a brother and I want you to know that he will always be around for you. Can we stand to our feet right now and give God praise? Just lift your voices. Let's magnify the Lord together. Just magnify the Lord. Praise him right now. 
Let's praise Him and glorify Him. Hallelujah.